Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. You made it weird. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird. You made it weird. Yes, you did. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird with Pete Holmes. What's happening, weirdos? So this is the uh, first of four uh, podcasts I recorded while I was on a Ram Dass retreat. The reason I'm doing it on Friday is I know not everybody that listens to the podcast is into the kind of uh, whatever, whatever this is. What do you want to call it? Deeper, mystical, spiritual, Ram Dassy stuff. I think it's very entertaining. It's not just talking about theory or meditation the whole time. We're, ta- we're telling a very interesting story. And I did want to tell a little bit about that story. This is This is kind of what you should know going in uh, is this idea. I, I think people know this. Richard Alpert and Timothy Leary were professors at Harvard. Uh, then they took acid. There's a story. There's a movie about this actually called Dying to Know, which Zach Leary uh, was in. It's out now. It's wonderful. It's a great thing to watch if you're curious about who these people are. But this is my version of the story. Richard Alpert uh, takes acid, kind of wakes up. He was this kind of successful, a little bit square guy, you know, uh, living it up, though. He has his own plane. He's got lots of sex. He's got lots of money. He's got lots of power. Takes acid, realizes that there's uh, another dimension, is what he would say, another side to reality, and really kind of opens him up to that. But, you know, you take acid and you trip for, you know, 10 hours or whatever, and it feels wonderful, and you feel... The divine. I've never done it, but you feel divine and united and similar to mushrooms, which I have done. I will say that that's definitely true. But then you get kicked out of the party. So frustrated with this, uh, like a lot of people in the 60s and early 70s, Ram Dass goes to India to, and he brings acid with him to figure out what is this stuff? What is this state? What does it mean to be conscious? And what does it mean to have your consciousness altered the way you perceive the world? So he goes and he ends up meeting somebody that if you listen to these episodes, you're going to hear a lot about a, a, a guy called Neem Karoli Baba or Maharaji. So Neem Karoli Baba, that, that just means the saint from Neem Karoli. And Neem Karoli is a, a town in India where they found this guy on a train. Very little is known about this guy's life, uh, meaning like exactly where he was from or his name. What is it? These are all nicknames. Maharaji, I'm pretty sure just means great one or teacher. It's kind of like an affectionate term. So anyway... Ramdas meets this guy, feels like he's in the presence of uh, an enlightened being, just un- unconditional love, constant acceptance and love. And, and then you throw in some miracles in there where he can read your mind and he seems to know everything about everybody and, and loves and loves and loves and loves and loves. Ramdas, I like to point out because this isn't just like a, a, a series of ethics. Ramdas is bisexual, for example, and this is the 70s, and this guy is okay, not only okay, but deeply loving of every aspect of Ramdas, deeply loving and accepting of all the women. If you, if you can imagine an ashram in the 70s accepting Western women into the ashram, which just means kind of temple, and uh, that, that was revolutionary. Those two things alone are proof enough to me that this is an exceptional being. Other places separating the women and the men, certainly looking down on any type of uh, different sexuality or whatever it is. And uh, everybody had these remarkable experiences. These were called the devotees. These were guys that uh, Ramdas wrote Be Here Now about. Um, and, and all these uh, devotees, the guys that got to spend, men and women, spend time with Maharaji, it changed their lives, and then they came back to the West and kind of spoke of this guy. So that's the story. Krishnadas 
uh, is one of those devotees. He sings kirtan, which is basically like chanting. If you've ever heard uh, pe- people singing Hare Krishna, those are Hare Krishnas, and that's a similar type of thing, singing Hare Krishna like that over and over into, to get into some sort of meditative, blissful, or connected state. That's what Krishna Das does. Uh, we talk, talk about his story a little bit, but he did it with Maharaji. He came to the West and brought that style of music, became insanely popular. Rick Rubin produced uh, one of his records because everybody loves this guy. He's a big deal, uh, Grammy nominated in the music world. But <laughs> the reason I wanted to talk to him was because he met and spent time with Maharaji and Ramdas and all the devotees in the early 70s in India, which is amazing. David Nickturn is an amazing Buddhist uh, meditation teacher, a world-renowned Buddhist meditation teacher. He gets his whole own episode uh, coming up in two uh, weeks from now because uh, David and and Krishnadas came on. I ended up speaking with Krishnadas more. um, And then David and I, we were talking so much off mic that I was like, we need to do another one. So this is kind of... Uh, he's kind of a bonus to this episode. You're going to fall in love with him as well. The first time I met David, we spoke for three hours effortlessly, and it was just truly amazing. So uh, the things you're going to hear over and over again are about how great Maharaji is, this idea of unconditional love, this idea of kindness being your religion. So I, I really want to stress that this isn't a dogma. It's not some sort of cult or anything like that. I'm sure it may seem like that to some people. These are some pretty uh, groovy weird, hip, weird in the best way, hippie people that are coming and trying to spread as much love and compassion and peace and understanding and kindness that they can. Uh, so hopefully there's something in there for you. And we also talk a lot about jerking off. <laughs> I wanted to tell that story so you could jump in here and feel included. I hope you enjoy this. I don't know what to call these, uh, these bonus, what should we call them? We'll call them the, uh, Maharaj casts. That doesn't work. The Romcasts. Ooh, this is the first of four Romcasts, uh, and I hope you enjoy it. If you don't, hey, it's a bonus episode. Fuck you want from me? <laughs> I loved it, so enjoy it. I just, I always want to share with you what I'm enjoying, and this is what I'm enjoying. So get into it. Well, we got a minute. He's on his way. He thought it was in the main building. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I told him that. That's why he thought that. I just looked at. How are you? Six? You're 68. Me, yeah. That's my first question. What is going on? What secret? Drugs. Yeah. <laughs> no drugs are supposed to age you. Oh. It is the most confusing. I on it. I'm not just buttering your bread. I uh-huh. I would have believed you were 49 years old. <laughs> I really do. What's really? going on? You know, I didn't start doing this till I was 40. When I started, 95. Chanting. 47. Well, traveling and chanting with people. Yeah. 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 Till I was uh, 1994. So that I was 47 when I started. You know, that's when people mostly stop. Yeah, exactly. That's when, when you call it a day. Out. So I started, I started at 47. Do you think that has something to do with it? Well, I was finished destroying, you know, I was finished doing everything I could to kill myself by that time. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. At least I was living well. I don't mean any disrespect to, uh, I have a lot of friends. Disrespect me as much as you. <laughs> no, I just mean to dress the people that have struggled with addiction in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually see it in their face a little bit. No, I, no disrespect, you know. Well, I mean, cocaine has a certain preservative quality. <laughs> it's like antifreeze in that You know, way. it's like what they use it, you know, that they put brains in. Yeah. Uh, oh, I was, or uh, the Barbasol. Yeah, I would use Barbasol. <laughs> the comb, the blue stuff. Yeah. Oh, no. You're basically snorting comb fluid. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, um, I was 
it was it was free bass. I mean, I wasn't yeah. a big cokehead before that. Then a little bit, everybody was doing it, and then uh, we were in a circle with a group of friends, and this one guy had this new thing that he was going to share with us. Which so was maybe, free bass? Yeah, there was like eight eight people in the circle. There are coke circles. Well, we were sitting in a circle on the floor. Yeah, coke circles. That's not like yeah. a thing. Like yeah, yeah. I, I always thought of cocaine uh, as more of a loner drug, like something oh, you it, do in the bathroom. It turns out, yeah, this was. But this was. We were just is like experimenting, trying out this new thing. This guy, okay. we were hanging out. There's dinner. After dinner, bathroom, get it. Okay. And uh, yeah, I, I wound up snorting. You know, Hi. locking myself in the closet for days and days at a time. No. Oh, sure. So, hello, David. Come on in. Good morning. What time zone are you in, you salty dog? <laughs> we're old friends. Salty. Sorry, we're, we're talking about cocaine already. Okay. Yeah, we went right to it. We have nothing but water, but please have a seat. We're uh, we're, we're mid-story. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah, if you don't, yeah, if you don't mind, we just start. We'll just yeah. have a nice chat. You wanna, is that good? I think this is good because one points that okay. way and one good. points that good. way, and the levels look okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So anyway, anyway, so this friend of ours, you know, had this thing he told us about. I hadn't even heard about it, I don't think. And so it was about seven or eight of us sitting around in a circle, and he, you know, he lit the the, the propane torch and put the thing in, and he passed it to me. He took a hit and passed it to me. It looks very elusive. What I've seen in the movies, it, oh, it's, it's a drug that you're like chasing it as it's, it's coming crazy. off the yeah, foil. It's right? Amazing. Well, no, this was a, we had a glass, a special uh, glass pipe, uh-huh. a glass water pipe. And then you just heat it with the propane torch, and then it it vaporizes the coke, and you 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 draw it through the water. It cools off the the uh, what do you call it? The vapor. Yeah. And then you just take a big hit. So he took one, then I took one, then it was going to go around. By the time the person next to me had finished their hit and was passing it, I was completely addicted. I, I couldn't right? wait for that pipe to I get back. I thought you were going to say you grabbed it. <laughs> I, I would have, but yeah. I knew the people too well. <laughs> and, and they knew me too well. Yeah. They said, you know, my friend said it was the, the quickest they'd ever seen anybody get addicted to anything. I was what, totally... What, what was the indication that you were addicted? I mean, I couldn't... I was just kept I, saying, wow, I this was, is the best. I was, <laughs> I was watching that pipe like this. I couldn't yeah. And then I went out uh, very quick, very soon after that, and I... You know, I, I started really smoking really, yeah. for about two years. Well, the reason we got into this, David, is because I, both of you have a uh, supernatural yogic uh, power going on that you, neither of you look your age. I don't know if you've met my parents, but... <laughs> but they, Was that your mother? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did you fuck my mom? <laughs> you salty Not mother. today. You... <laughs> Not today yet. Not today, not yet. Yeah, so there's a few hours left. You know, you have an allure, man. And we, we were talking today, David and I were laughing about it. And, and we'll catch up. Uh, let's just talk like we all know what we know, and then we'll catch the audience up. But we were talking about the, the Leela, the word that... Maharaji, mm-hmm. or that you used yeah. about Maharaji, yeah. that you've become this kind of in, inadvertent rock star. Yeah. You know, because here you are on his terms. Isn't that what you said? You're kind of like. Uh, that you um, sort of at your early stage aspired towards that. My early life, early life. Yeah, right. I wanted to be But then this sort of took you around full circle. Yeah, and then I went. Manifesting some of the same things. It's like thing. a cosmic yeah. joke a little bit. Yeah. yeah, cosmic joke. Yeah, I mean, the, I had. 
Do you, you want to hear all the history? But I want to hear everything, so, and, and so does the audience. Everybody okay. that's familiar with this podcast. Firstly, I should open by saying okay. I think you're both incredible. I always forget to say that. Mm-hmm. Whenever I do other people's oh, podcasts, sure. if they start with something nice, it makes me feel good. <laughs> but everybody also knows that I'm a big. I call him Rami D. Uh, I love Ram Das. So uh-huh, right. we'll get back yeah. sure. into how you guys are connected to that, and you know, mm-hmm. a good story about meeting him and all that. But uh, let's start with this. Start with the, so, uh, the joke. Well, I. I Always, I mean, I always played music. I was more was a blues singer, country blues and stuff like that, and yeah. folk music. And then, and then I was out at Stony Brook University back in the '60s, and I had a friend who was an art student. And he met these local boys, local guys, who were starting a little band. And so I was a singer, so he got us together, and we did a few rehearsals and stuff like that. But they were younger and kind of just getting into smoking dope, and I was kind of, <laughs> I was kind of like fading out from it, you know, getting burnt out. Hmm. They were probably two or three years younger than me. And uh, how do they look? Well, they're, <laughs> they're not all alive still. They're okay, not. bad joke then. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> well, when I tell you the name of but the they band, they very became. Good. I actually know the bunch. Yeah, I've, I've they seen became, them. They became the Blue Oyster Cult. Yes, and. But that people, they do look really good, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it can yeah. go either way. It can go either way after that. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, um, so lo- short story but wait, long. why didn't you go into the... Uh, I forget the detail. Well, why the thing didn't... was, I had moved up... I had left school, and I'd gone to live upstate on a farm, and I was driving a school bus, and that was the winter I met Ramdas through those friends. And then how I... Did that, I'm sorry to interrupt, but how did that happen? Those guys were Jungian acid head mountain climbers. <laughs> well, I'm glad I asked. So they knew... How they did you knew Richard, they knew Richard Alpert. Yeah. <laughs> acid mountain climbers. I thought that was a band. That's, yeah, it is. That's a better name than Blue Ace here. So you meet some Jungian... Uh, wow, we could talk about that for a while. Yeah, yeah. They were great. He's a great... In fact, he's, this guy, Steve, has written the only authorized biography of Joseph Campbell. He's a, he's I can't a, believe you brought up Joseph Campbell. Joey Cams, as we call him. <laughs> Rami D, Joey Cams, these are my right. big people. Well, this this guy, Steve, and his wife, Robin, introduced me to Ram Dass, But they also, they were, he's a psychologist from upstate New York, and he taught at college up there for a long time. But he was close with Joseph Campbell, and they wrote the, the only authorized biography. Out right? of my face. I can't believe it. Yeah. Those are, uh, I want to get to the... Literal. What was the name of their... They had a group called the Vulgarians. <laughs> they, Wait, they, a music group? A mount, mountain climbing group. They called themselves uh, the Vulgarians. Uh, <laughs> and they would just like run up these these vertical folding planes. Because that's why they were living up there. There's a place in uh, Rosendale that has very rare vertical faulting planes at low altitude. Yeah. Usually they're like at 15,000 feet, 10,000 feet. These are at two feet. And they, <laughs> then they go up from there. So they love, they love being there. They're going straight up these rocks. And they're friends with my favorite person, one of my favorite people, Joey Cams, and then they introduce you to Ramdas? Yeah, they this met... Isn't, this is the best yeah, yeah, night they, of my life. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, they heard Ram about... They knew Richard Alpert, and a friend of theirs had heard him speak when he got back from India. And that friend came up to the farm, and they said, we're going up to New Hampshire to meet them. Meet them. Do you want to go? And I said, no, nah, I, don't, I don't want to. I have no use for white yogis. You know? <laughs> I was a real asshole. Uh, I, I just, the real thing was from over there. So I say it was? I That's didn't go. Job. White <laughs> yoga. He didn't know me. Highest yoga. Yeah. Oh, Very yeah. secret. I saw it's a secret. W. White yoga, man. I saw a W forming on your lips. I thought for sure you were going to say, what? You whisper that. You don't really yeah. say that out loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, somebody said that about you. <laughs> 
The American uh, burger with Indian ketchup. Yeah, that was fantastic. I couldn't believe it. I so you like? I don't need this uh, white non bread. Yeah. So I let them go. They're supposed to be back the next day. They didn't come back for two or three days. And when they came back, I had just finished milking the goats. Alice Bailey and Madame Blue. That's a metaphor. You. No, we had two goats, and um, they were named Alice Bailey and at Madame Blavatsky. And I was, I was carrying, I was carrying the milk out. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Yeah, man. no. Why would you want to? It's and the, well, this old beat-up uh, Jaguar sedan that he drove came was coming came across the field, the road, pulled around to the parking lot, and he got out of the car and he turned around and looked at me like that. And there was light shooting out of him. He and was full. He was just right. I just, I said, right down the directions. I'm leaving now. No I way. ran out to my cabin. I got into, I, I drove all night. It was the coldest night of the year. My car was so cold, it wouldn't, the heater wouldn't even work. It took me like 12 hours to make this ride in my old Volvo. And uh, I pulled up there in the morning and... Um, that's amazing. I feel yeah. like so many people want a story like that. Huh. Where you see a face... And here you are, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, and yeah. then you go on this journey, and you're yeah. having other exceptional experiences. But this one alone is pretty good. You pretty see good. a guy's yeah, face in a van that yeah. goes, I need to go where this guy was. So yeah. many people, myself included, are yearning for some sort of moment yeah. like that, where you're like, i got to get in my heatless Volvo. Yeah. My life is all heated Volvo. <laughs> it's too, uh, too comfortable. I'm Ubers and stuff. Like, I have nothing. So you get, you drive, and then you drive. And that's when I met Ramdas, and that, that's when everything changed for me, really. Ramidi. Because uh, <laughs> I walked into the room where he was sitting, and uh, without a word being spoken, I knew that it was real. Hmm. I didn't know what it was, but it was real. So up until that was mind blowing. That was changing. Up until that point, you were just kind of hoping it was books. Real. Well, this is the late, the mid sixties, right? Yeah. So there's a few books about this stuff. There's in yoga. Why did you read them? Because I was into that stuff already since high school. Why? Because you suspected it was real. I suspect. I was hoping it was real. Had you taken LSD or something? No, but I had taken peyote at that point. Okay. Uh, well, I, but now, I, by that time, I around us, I was already finished with acid. Yeah. But I had. The first drug I took between my junior and senior years of high school was peyote buttons. No way. And that was like... What is that like? Oh, it's like... They call it the flesh of Christ. <laughs> That's what the Indians call it. No. The Native Americans in the peyote church, they call it the flesh of Christ, and it's part of their service. And Maharaji said, I don't know if you know this, but Maharaji said, the yogi medicine, which is acid, brings you into the room with Christ. Yeah. But you can't stay. We, yeah. we were talking we were about that earlier this morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, I was curious. You should Remember ask my more. conundrum? Yeah, yeah. Should I ask? Yeah, absolutely. I'll ask AD. Yeah. Yep. Do you want to hear my conundrum? Yeah, sure. We were yeah. talking about the danger of turning Maharaji into a deity in the sense that then you get fundamentalists. And then you get like, the, uh, coming from a tradition where I had uh, my pastors and, and even Jesus in a certain way framed in this way that became dangerous. It yeah. was like, it's either literal or it's not. It's, mm -hmm. it's dualistic. Yeah. And it, and it became very fundamental. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I get worried about that happening. I don't know why I'm worried about it. You should well, because not worried. once. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we, we keep there's so many books and, yeah. and uh, the miracle stories, and I love them, but I, I worry that it'll go mainstream in some way, and then we'll have sex and all this stuff. No, that's one thing you won't get. 
he didn't. He was married. And he had a family, so he didn't mess around with the, with the girls or anything like that. Oh, I don't mean sex. Oh, oh, S E C T S. Oh, sex. Yeah, that word is exactly the same. I thought you meant like you know. No, no, no. Well, every other culture is ruined by guns or sex. Yeah, absolutely. This one was already ruined. Yeah, of course. But you know, but he didn't have Maharaj. had nothing. He didn't own anything. Right. He didn't pass anything on to anyone. He didn't leave a successor. He just walked out of the temple and laid down in a train station and left his body. Yeah. You know, his nothing. All and the other problem is that all that shit is true. All those stories that you read actually did happen. Right. They happened now, not like two thousand years ago. And nobody's going to build a religion around it because he's too funky. You know? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we're all here. But, you know, speaking of Joseph Campbell, although, okay, I'm going to, we'll talk about the literalness of, of someone like Christ, for example. Um, but let's talk about this first. We, we, uh, David and I were talking about the story where Ram Dass uh, gives Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji uh, acid. Uh, I, I was there. A bit, okay, great. Yeah, okay, the so second time. The big old dose of acid. Yeah. I, I, I would like you to tell the story but the question that I would like answered that mm-hmm. we were just kind of batting around mm-hmm. for, for sport was the story, as I've always heard it is, Ramdas gives Maharaji a lot of acid. He mm-hmm. takes three pills of mm-hmm. strong premium stuff. Sure. Then the punchline that I've heard in lectures is, and nothing happened. That's right. the short version of the story. That's the whole version. They sat around all day and, and there was no change in Maharaji. So there was no change. Yeah. All right. So this, is what, this was interesting. I can't. So, okay. Uh, the, this is part you're going to like. So. Yeah. This was very a big deal for Ramdas, obviously. Sure. Because one of the reasons he went to India was to take acid there and give it to people, try to find out what the fuck it is. Yeah. So here was a guy who obviously was beyond it. This was a big thing. Right. So he comes back to America and people start to say, Oh, come on, man. He threw it over his shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get right, get real. Yeah, yeah. Nobody could do that. Mm-hmm. So there was a tiny doubt in Ramdas's mind. Mm-hmm. He admitted there was a tiny mm-hmm. doubt. So the next time he went back to India at one point, it's a long story, but we were sitting with Maharaji, me, Ramdas, Ramesh Radas, who's here, and Danny Goldman. All the Dels, all the Das is in yeah. one Goldman. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, one time Maharaji looks down at Ramdas. Thank you. <laughs> That's okay. I'm, you know. <laughs> I'm to make hey, don't him. try this at home. He does this. Yeah. No, I'm trying to make him laugh. <laughs> He's got an audience over yeah. here. No, it's fine. So, Maharaji looks down at Ram and said, When you were in India last time, did you give me medicine? Ram said, Yes. And Maharaji said, Did I take it? Ram said, I think so. Oh, got any more? <laughs> yes, give it to me. I swear to you, Ram- Maharaji went like this. He put his hand out. Ram put his hand out with the acid on it. Maharaji went like this. He grabbed each pill and he goes, Like three or four times, I forget. Puts it in very deliberately. Puts it in completely. There's no doubt. He and put it in his mouth. Just to interject here, he he just kind of intuited that there was sure. doubt. Nobody said yeah. like, "Hey, nobody, nobody thinks you took it." He just no, kind no. of jumped right. Yeah, in. He jumped. Kind right. of a how was the biscuits moment. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> See, I came to play. Yeah. <laughs> so he takes them, and so you're he here him. for this. Takes them, and then he goes, "Can I drink water? Hot water? Cold water? Bring me water." They brought him a glass of water, he drank a little water. And then he's sitting there, and he takes his blanket, he pulls it over his head, and then he pulls it up and he goes like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> ah! Ram Dass turned purple. <laughs> and he thought, later on he said, you know, I thought, 
I've killed. He's an old I've, guy. I've, killed, I've, killed, I've killed my guru. Uh, he really uh, didn't take the acid, but he wanted to prove he could, and now he's done it. Mm. I've killed my guru. Mm-hmm. The minute he had that thought, Maharaji dropped the whole fun. And he said, he said, yogis have known about this for thousands of years. It used to grow up in the, in the mountains, in the Kulu Valley. He said, for a yogi who knows God, no poison can affect him. Hmm. And we sat around all day long, and it was nothing. Uh, I love that story. Yeah, I've, the nothing is where he's. I'm oh, honored no. to hear this story. Well, this is. I thought it was an interesting conversation. You have to understand that I'm yeah. on board. Mm-hmm. I'm here. Mm-hmm. I paid to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm on acid. This is. I'm also on acid. But I mean, like, so when don't said, think that this is a debate. But the interesting thing was, he says this medicine will put you in the room with Christ. Yeah. Okay. So we. It took me a long time to phrase this to David, but I was like, so if somebody's already tripping. Which is kind of the idea, is that he's already in the room with Christ. He is Christ. He is Christ. Yes. All right, so he's Christ. How's that for starting a cult? (laughs) (laughs) we got to get back to peyote. So he's in the room with Christ. He is Christ. But let's just use his words. He's in the room with Christ. Mm -hmm. Then he takes the medicine that puts him in the room with Christ. How no, would, it, wouldn't, it didn't affect him, don't you? But if it didn't affect him, how would he know what it did? This is a stupid question. How did he know what he did? How did he know that Ramdas had doubt? How did he know anything? You're, so you're everything. saying it was a mind-reading thing. He's he not even mind-reading. It's beyond that. He just knows everything. He doesn't spend time reading each, each person's mind. He's just saying he's just what He's just... It's perfection. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolute, total perfection. And he doesn't... These things just happen. There's nobody in there thinking about doing them. That's, yeah. the, that's the thing you have to understand. It's, this is called enlightenment, mm-hmm. essentially. Would you agree? To some, some sense? At least some level of enlightenment. Well, we were what? talking about if somebody were drunk and then they had took a shot of whiskey and it didn't change them, how would they be like, this will get you fucked up? You understand? Sure, that but it's quantity? not like that. In fact... Sorry, David. He, totally he's, and he explained <laughs> it. He said, from his point of view, all these things are poisons. Mm. Not, I mean, they're all uh, physical things, like, and so it just doesn't affect somebody who's who's rooted way beyond that kind of place. Mm. He, he, you know, so these things happen all the time. He knew everything, and he showed you all the time in a way that only you knew that he was showing you that. Like, if I was Maharaji sitting here with you guys. We'd be having a that and I would be showing you over the course of our hanging out together. You would see that I knew what you dreamt last night. I knew you jerked off, and you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> and I knew how much you ate, and that. And then at the same time, I'd be showing you the same things about you. It just happens because he's perfect, and that's his his job is to help us out of our our illusion. So the stories of this guy, Ramdas tells stories as well about like this guy knows what I'm thinking and he knows my bad thoughts and stuff. That was a without a doubt sort of sensation. This guy is there. The hard part was living with that day after day. <laughs> well, it sounds not easy actually. Because, because it was just to get used to living in a place where everything is open, you know. Mm. Uh, okay, so I was celibate. The whole time I was in India. By choice? Almost three years. Two and a half years. And I, I meant no jerking off, no girlfriends, nothing. Wow. So one night... <laughs> David, I know you haven't talked yet <laughs> that much, but I'm so happy to have you here just yeah, for just, the laughs. Yeah, for sure. Just for the laughs. Yeah. It's a good thing to have. Please so, go on. No jerking so it. One night I, I had this dream 
where I was in this heaven world. And I was surrounded by these women, and each one of them was more beautiful than any woman I've ever seen in my life. Mm. But they weren't made of flesh. They were made of bliss. <laughs> so when you touched them or even looked at them, you connected with the bliss, and it just ran through you. And I woke up with a heart on the size of a fucking elephant. <laughs> and I just, I was in a dorm room with four other guys. I ran into the bathroom and I, I just, you know, I whacked off. I it, it was, it was non-negotiable. Non- I've gotten those, non-negotiable. I've gotten that non- type of command from my dick before. N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-
first. That's my belief. That's the way it looks like from where we sit as his devotees and the experiences we had. So even if you got there and didn't have an experience that you were aware of, he brought you there and he gave you something. And then you left. I mean, I was standing next to a guy once who showed up and there was a bunch of people, a lot of Indians, a lot of Westerners, and he, this Westerner kind of walked in. He looked like a, one of these half-smoking guys been in India a while. And we was standing there at the edge of the crowd and said, which one's Maharaji, that guy? The ugly guy? The ugly guy with the blanket? The ugly guy with the blanket? Oh, my gosh. And I just looked at him in disbelief because we saw the most beautiful... We saw all the beauty in the universe wrapped yeah. up in blank. And then he left. He got on the bus and left. I'm out of here. Exactly. I only like good-looking gurus. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, though, the first time having heard the stories and then you do see him. You know, I've heard Ram Dass call him a fat little old man on a blanket mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. He, he, you know, he doesn't have the face if you were to sketch this mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. If you heard all the stories and then drew him from a Western perspective, yeah. you would draw softer features. He looks like my friend Brody Stevens, who's like a severe-looking guy. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? He was just so... People don't realize that he was so immersed all the time. That when it, it's, He was so detached from, from what was going on that when there were just times he was, his face would become like impassive. Not that it was, wasn't cold or... It was just... He was gone, you know? And then he'd come back and make everything soft. And hmm. Did you get the sense that... Sometimes I even look at uh, Ramdas and I'm like, is it tiring being so tuned in? Because I get tired hmm. of trying to keep myself in the present. So when I hear about these beings, I'm like... Because you guys are, are both uh, real dudes, and I think that's part of the fun appeal. You've got good senses of humor... Uh, you know, you don't shy away from a jerk-off story. And I like that. That makes me think, I'm like, oh, good, they have a release valve. I'll be leaving out half my life. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was about, that's your old testicle right there. Old testicles, the old testicles right there. <laughs> the old testicles. Yeah, well, there you go. But do you, like, even with Ram Dass, somebody, somebody, we were talking about how Ram Dass has multiple sides to his personality. He's not just... A goo-ball. A goo-ball, always yeah. smiling and high-fiving babies. Yeah. So when I hear about somebody that's just constantly empty and present, it almost makes me go like, does he have a friend he can talk about farting with? You know what I'm saying? Barely. You, it, Barely. No, seriously. <laughs> what do you mean? I think there's a tremendous loneliness that goes with that. Right? But aloneness, not loneliness. Hmm. Singularity. Well, because people love to gossip and people love to... I mean, you guys must have gossiped. I know you have your, your own guru. What was his name? Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. He was Tibetan. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't... And I would say there was, a, in being him, there was a certain uh, lack of somebody on his level to hang out with. Yeah, it's like being Elvis or well, something. The, there were other <laughs> great and senior masters that, you know, maybe there's a certain level of comparing... Yeah. Uh, notes with. But most of the time he's working with people. He's trying to communicate something to them that they kind of have an intuition about, a feeling about. He's trying to help them cultivate themselves. Yeah. Develop themselves. So any teacher or anybody who's, you know, got a very strong uh, level of some kind of realization, yeah, you know, there's a certain aloneness that goes with that. I have to think so. It's, it's not just like, oh, great, it's all so nice. These students are gathering around me. But that comes back to the mirror principle, because I think one of the things that I would 
I didn't know Maharaji, so I know Maharaji only through KD. Yeah, and I, the others. Yeah. And the others, but really, he's the main reason that I'm with this group of people. Sure. The notion of emptiness in the Buddhist tradition is that, and what, what Katie was saying is there's sort of not somebody there in the conventional point of view of personality. That's been sort of routed out. Mm-hmm. And so there's a certain kind of spaciousness to this person, and that space reflects like a mirror. So a lot of times people are seeing their own projections. Coming, oh, we were talking about to... that a little bit. You were saying yeah. Ramdas found someone that loved him unconditionally because that's what he was looking for? Or? Well, well, you know, not everybody would express that. You, Katie's not saying that. He's saying right. something different than that. Yeah. He's saying, he, what would you say your main takeaway is from it? You, you don't say because he loved me unconditionally. You say because he knew everything. No, no. What would it be the main? Would, no, it's the love. No, no question about it. The love. Being, the unconditional quality absolute, of love. Yeah, the sweetness, mm. the absolute non-judging. Mm-hmm. In this, and the fact that he was non-judging when he did know everything mm-hmm. about us and everything mm-hmm. that we'll ever do or have ever done or ever mm-hmm. thought of doing. There was no... Everything was an open book. And the feeling of being with him was like, he's... Totally on top of this. He's so on top of this. There's no bottom to it. It's just the feelings. He's so completely at ease and and in it and beyond it at the same time. And you know, it's an astounding feeling. It was a sense, though, because yeah. I'm not judging you. Yeah, <laughs> but you're not. No, getting... of course you are. You see. <laughs> No, of course I am. In a million you, ways. But it, what's the difference? Of course I know there is a difference. I'm just interested in how you. You're a personality. It. Seeing me as a personality, we're already that's we're already off the off the board. Here. Sure. I'm looking yeah. at you to see. And he's he's there's nobody there's no personality. In, but that was something you felt. He certainly didn't yeah. sit around you going. Feel it. Yeah. You feel it. it's an intuitive feeling. Mm. It and what what it feels like is is that. It's like when you're a kid and you got out to play. They let you out to play. It's like, yeah, we can do this. this we're allowed. Yeah, we can be ourselves. We can love. We can be open and happy and free. And that's what that. That's what being with someone like that makes you feel like. Mm. You know, it lets you out of the out of the prison that we're locked in day after day, moment after moment. But it, it, you have to under. It's a. It's a probably a hard thing for people to understand how a silent. Being, Where he wasn't silent. He talked all the time. Okay, about everything, <laughs> but it except spiritual things. But that's the thing. It wasn't necessarily. We're used to people turning you on with words or yeah. even music. Like people are, can be very moved by what you guys do together. Yeah. But here's a guy who's throwing bananas and and arguing or whatever he's doing, yeah. and you're like, this guy loves me completely, and he's just like, <laughs> the, he would get these looks on his face, you know, like. Like, do you believe this? Yeah, you, know? you got to be kidding. <laughs> and he'd laugh, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, and he'd say, people come here and they try to fool me. He said, I go on fooling the whole world and they come here and think they can fool me. If they knew who I was, they'd rip skin off my body to make a talisman. Is that what he yeah, said? Yeah, said things like that. You said an interesting thing about, uh, you said, he said to the Westerners, I let you love me unconditionally. Yeah. Somebody told me that. I was, I think that was in the last summer. Uh, he had already sent me back to the, He said, I've given you more than I've given the Indians. I let you love me unconditionally. 
And now this feeling, the Westerners were, you know, in the Indian thing, in the culture, a guru has a place, he, he, he's in the culture. The devotees come, they get blessings, they, they serve the guru, they do this, the guru cures them of this and that and gets jobs for their kids and make, you know, brings them back from the dead, all kinds of things. We were so out of the picture. We were just from some other planet. And we landed there and all we wanted to do was to stare at him. <laughs> we didn't want jobs. We didn't want money. We had Most of us had no life. We were, we were like 20 years old. Yeah. Come the other side of the world. We had never had a job. We didn't have nothing. We didn't have a, a sense of our future or even a past. All we wanted to do was like, because we were in that moment with him so deeply. And it was so different than the Indians who loved him intensely. But with us, he just let us in. Yeah. He let us in. But you asked the question, who is speaking? Because clearly the idea with... I'm, I'm trying to bring the mm-hmm. listeners in. Mm-hmm. The idea is that he's speaking from a level of God consciousness. He's saying, I let you that. love yeah. me yeah. unconditionally. Yeah. He doesn't who, who mean, said that? Yeah, no. He's like, yeah, here. He doesn't mean me, Maharaji. He yeah. means God. Yeah, I mean... It gets complicated how to explain that kind of situation. But you could say that, I mean, to make it very simple, you could say it's God speaking through this human-looking being. Right. But what's God? What does that mean? I mean, that brings up a whole bunch well, a of images question. that are just yeah. crazy. It's a great question for both of you. What is, what is God, uh, David? Well, our... Now I just feel like I want to talk to David. Um, <laughs> our two traditions have similarities and differences. Yes, I'd like to talk about those. And, yeah. and the similarity is that there's a sort of <clears throat> access that ordinary people could have to a sublime understanding of life. Mm-hmm. Call it whatever you want, you know. And the, the difference is that... The, and another similarity is that it, there is a, a guru in the, in the Buddhist tantra tradition... And there's a guru in the, um, I'm calling it loosely Hindu because he doesn't use that word. So, but the role of that teacher is a little bit different. So in our tradition, the guru is looked at as a human being, as is Buddha, ordinary human being just like you, who achieved enlightenment. And so there is a sense of uh, some kind of pathway or journey for an individual to follow Steps, methods to, to follow to, to and you to, keep going around and around and around until well, you and, do that, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a whole another description of what they call samsara, sort of like habitual patterns that just repeat themselves over and over again until you break them. Right. So the idea of breaking is a there's a intention. There's more intention in our, our tradition. I would say there's more of a sense of practice or path or journey that you make that has stages and steps. Whereas what it, what is going on here? Is this well, more of a surrender thing or? Is it, it's more of a uh, devotional, certainly, is the word that comes up. It's more of, well, I mean, Maharaji's thing is a little different than other Hindu things, in a way, because we believe that he's uh, an enlightened being, free from all cultural restraints or identifications with this cult or that cult or that sect or that, you know, and that and that he's we believe he's what they call a siddha, which is a, a being that has the ability to change you from the inside and so by tuning ourselves to him, we're 
putting ourselves uh, like in, on the train tracks, you know, to, mm. to get run over by the train. Mm. You know, we're and but to do that, the actual act, ability to do that is not so different than the practices that in the Buddhist tradition, in the Davis tradition, especially the Tantric tradition. It's your in, in that tradition, the first thing you say, the first step is to align your heart and mind with the heart and mind of the guru, is to merge. And the prayer is, you know, merge my heart and mind with yours. And that's how you even know. That's when you get turned on to the right direction of what, what it, which way you should be moving. Hmm. And that saves you from all the egocentric and selfish ideas about this and that. Yeah, no, that's just, that part is what's similar, because only in the Buddhist tantras would you even use the word guru. So if you're practicing, you know, Theravadan Buddhism or Mahayana Buddhism, there's no there's no concept of a guru at all. In fact, Buddha, if you in the classical thing, says, you know, don't follow me that way. It says you figure it out for yourselves. You can I can give you method, I can give you a direction, but you have to work. What is what's going it. on there? Does he think that there? You say this a lot too. Is define what works for you? Is it really just like a strict like what the things that it's the it's the last words he spoke before he died. What was yeah. that? He said monks seek your own salvation, find your own way. That's pretty Be a lamp unto yourself. Yeah. This is the guy. He's <laughs> <laughs> pretty much the bottom line. <laughs> so I use that as a bottom line, even if you have a guru. Yeah, of course. You know, because it's still your projection of the guru. But you, yes. And you keep saying that too. That seems sure. like another similarity for yeah. you guys. But, I, yeah. Go ahead. I'm a little bit unusual, I think, in, even in my group, because I've really studied a lot of Buddhism. I've been with a lot of Buddhist teachers. And and I even see Maharaji, you know, these beings can carry many different lineages with them, within them. From, and in one life or other, they're manifesting this, and in another life, they're manifesting that. Many of the, the, one of the greatest Buddhist teachers of the last generation, the 16th Karmapa, called Maharaji a Mahasiddha, a Siddha, you know, which is, it means a completely perfect being oh, you said that earlier. and and who who has the ability to undelude you and show you how to undelude yourself but also cities cities what a city possesses their powers they're, yeah. Power. they're they're called supernormal in a sense and they're part of the big world but they're not like the normal thing. So like what the story Ramdas told about him sort of reading his mind, that would be a city. Right. Yeah. We talked about cities and we talked about letting go of them, remember? Well this was this is the important point is not grasping onto them doesn't mean that they don't happen. Not grasping onto anything. We had a very interesting... We, yeah. First of all, Valerie told me we talked for three hours. Did you know that? Uh, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you weren't as uh, into it as I was. <laughs> Wait, but I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I know, I'm only self-deprecating yeah. for fun. I was just aware of the time at the same time as I was deeply. Well, you had watches and phones. I was, <laughs> you know, I was just living in the now. Right. Like <laughs> sure. Uh, but we had this amazing, effortless three-hour conversation mm-hmm. and we were talking a lot about and then what was this big thing yeah. that that's my big question is like and then what it's like yeah. if you are uh, reading minds and then what mm-hmm. or if you are constantly living in a state mm-hmm. of similar to uh, the room with Christ if you if you mm-hmm. if I can look at that plant and really weep mm-hmm. at the subtle unity of the universe in a plant mm-hmm. that's gorgeous and then what like what are we doing even when Maharaji helped somebody or brought somebody back from the dead. Why? <laughs> Why help? Oh. Uh, it's interesting, and, and many times he didn't. Yeah. 
Well, you told that great story. Uh, I have people in my life that struggle with addiction, too, and, and you said something very beautiful at your talk today uh-huh. about the idea of sometimes it was like sometimes you just do what you can, but there's nothing you can do, and that's almost kind of like... I don't want to say karma because you under, you're the karma expert, but it seems like that's the path they're running out. The thing about all these really great beings, all the siddhas, on, is that they have only one motivation, compassion. They're only, the only way they can even stay on the earth is through cultivating com- compassion, which is, some, is a, there's ultimate compassion and then there's everyday kind of compassion. Without every, they have to cultivate that in order to, it's an attachment, it's an illusion to think that there are other beings who need help when you're enlightened. Mm. But since there are beings who seem to suffer terribly, I will stay here to help them. That's their motivation. Mm. But they also, from the point of view of Buddhahood, it's a spontaneous activity. It's not a, like a conceptualized yeah. thing. It's just like it's kind of like the acid thing. It's not nobody's deciding to do it. No, no, it's no. just it, what they're doing. You, whatever arises, you meet with some kind of skillful communication. Yeah, because that's natural. I guess that's and I, because there's nothing. There's nobody in there who wants anything. There's nobody in there to want anything for themselves. They're only here for us. So everything that arises, they deal with in the best way for that situation. Sometimes that means not healing somebody Yeah. in the karmic flow of things. I've seen that happen with Maharaji. Where he was like... Where he did not... Where he... I, I, I mean, I can't prove it to you. It was this couple asked him to marry them. And he said... He just made light of No, no, Krishnadas will marry you. Ah, and they laughed. <laughs> spit take. <laughs> <laughs> Don't drink while he's telling anecdotes. I don't want to spit on <laughs> Digital recorder. We have two things going. Yeah. And, so, uh, he, he so the next day we did this big ceremony, a little ceremony at, at the temple, and they're, you know, they're married. They're you married? Yeah. I mean, I said, okay. I read from them. You know, my heart told me to, yeah. so I did. Yeah. <laughs> so they came back to America. Years went by. Some years went by. Uh, the woman came down with cancer. They had a child. He came down. The guy came down with this very serious heart and lung ailment. Uh, she And then... They, things got worse and worse. Uh, she died. The son died from an accidental overdose of heroin, and and the man, the father, died, or in reverse order. The father died first, then the son, then the mother. Within one year. Mm-hmm. Have you married months. anybody else since then? Never. <laughs> Rolling Stone took the ad out of the back of the magazine. Yeah, they took it out. <laughs> All the comic books are here. So, so, what, so, so one thing. So. I fully, totally believe, although I can't prove it, that by not marrying them, Maharaji was going to allow those karmas to run out the way they were going to run out without interference because it was the best thing for them all in the long run. Hmm. And you mean the really long run? Yeah, I mean you the, mean the run, river lifetimes. of life, yes. lifetimes and lifetimes. Yeah, sure. yeah. They had to run off. See, I don't understand karma. David was very gracious and taught me a lot of things this afternoon. One of them was about karma. When I have somebody in my life who seems like they're in a rut and uh, their life just sucks, <laughs> not nothing terrible. They're not being terrorized, but they're they're just kind of um, unhappy people that are frumps. I often catch myself saying to myself, "Oh, they have a they have not to judge it, but I'm going to judge it. They have a shitty karma, and that gives me some sort of comfort." Mm-hmm. Is that what's going on? Help me out. <laughs> Uh, I mean, see, I was talking about this today in the workshop. These words actually mean something. You know, 
selfless service, karma, enlightenment. These, these actually mean something mm. where they come from. Over here, they get bumped and bounced around and use them in different ways, which is not really what they mean. It can be, it's descriptive in English to some degree, but it's also very misleading. Hmm. So, uh, um, but you have somebody that gets married and then their husband dies and then their son dies. That yeah. woman has a. The three what? of them had some karmic predicament that they were all very much enmeshed together, and they all suffered terribly in relation to each other and separately, you know, by themselves. It was heavy. Hmm. Uh, here's another little tidbit about that. So. Before the the three of them died, in fact, bef- almost a year before the last one had died, this young Baba came over to visit from India, a sadhu, and he heard about uh, he heard about Sudama, who was this the guy, the husband, being so sick. So he said to me, "Let's go over there first thing in the morning." So he and I drove to Queens. And it took Sudama like a half an hour to get to the door. He's crawling on the floor because he can't breathe. Heart and lung transplant. He needed no oxygen was getting him. Hmm. He finally gets to the door. He opens the door. We come in. We sit down. Baba asked me to sing the Chalisa, the Hanuman Chalisa for him. And Sudama's mouthing the words, but he can't, you know, make any sounds. So we stayed for a while, and then we went home. And Sudama called me that night and he said that he felt like he had been feeling separate from Maharaji for 20 years at that point and he, or 15 years, 20 years and he said he felt that everything came back to him and the Maharaji come back to him and he was so happy and the next morning he was dead hmm. now Maharaji gave him the name Sudama this is a name, this the story with this name is exactly analogous to this story. Sudama was Krishna's boyhood friend. And they were hiding from a rainstorm in a tree. And they fell asleep. And Sudama woke up. And he was hungry, so he ate his lunch. And he was still hungry, so he ate Krishna's lunch. It's not a good idea to eat God's lunch without permission. You know? I wouldn't eat your lunch. Yeah, well. Yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so because of that selfish action as Sudama got older they, they separated Krishna went his way Sudama went Sudama became very poor and blind and he was basically like a beggar so finally his wife was ragging on him saying you know Krishna you go to the palace and see him Krishna became a king go ask him for help he's your boyhood friend you know here, bring them this parched rice, the cheapest, you know, the, the it's just a little white rice that's been like parboiled. This is all they had to offer Krishna. So Sudama finally drags his ass down there to Mathura, to the temple, or Dwarka, to the temple, to the palace, and he's embarrassed to go inside because he's so poor. He doesn't want Krishna to see him like this. So he sits out with the other beggars. Well, sure enough, Krishna comes out of the palace and he sees Sudama and he grabs him and he said, I can't believe you're here after all these years. How great to see you. Come on inside. And he drags him inside and he feeds him and he shows, takes him around the temple and the, the palace and they, you know, talking about old, day, old times together. And, and um, then he says, you know, I'm a king and I got to go do my stuff now. So you have to go now, but please come back. So, 
And then he said, wait, what do you have there? Sudama didn't even offer him that rice because it's so poor. Oh, wow, we used to eat this when we were kids. This is so great. Thanks for bringing it. I love this. I haven't had it for so long, right? This is Krishna. <laughs> and so then Sudama leaves and he goes back and he finds his way back to his village and his lane. And then he's finding his way along that, this fence, this old rickety fence. But he's feeling, you know, he's blind. He's feeling, what's this? It's like a solid wall here. And, but he knows he's in the right place. So he keeps moving along the wall towards where the gate was, the old broken-down gate. And now he comes to this gate, and he, it's this metal thing, and he's like, what is this? What's going on? And then his wife and kids come running, oh, you know, look what Krishna did. You must have asked him for help. You look, look at the, he turns our little, our hut into like a, a beautiful house. You know? And the thing was, Sudama didn't ask. Yeah. But it was Krishna's nature to do that. And so, just and so, at the end of his life, all these good things come to him. And then Maharaji gave him that name, gave Ed the name Sudama, and it was the same story. Right at the end of his life, everything came back to him, and he was happy. Hmm. It's very interesting. Six months later, his son ODs. Six months later, his his ex-wife dies of cancer after fighting it for years and years and years. What do you, what do we make of all this suffering? Suffering is a as a big thing. I was going to say it's a hot topic, but it's something that we all deal with. And the idea of the the meaning of it and 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 what it, why we're doing it if there is a meaning to it. A lot of people listening believe it is meaningless. I'm probably pretty sure of that. What do, what do we make of that? They believe it's meaningless. I I think a lot of the listeners are probably not very spiritual people. Do you think they've looked for the meaning in it? That's a fair question. We like to so like Buddha. You know, coming back to the the Buddha version of reality Buddha after getting enlightened that was the first teaching he gave was the truth of suffering and then the second question though was the origin of it so you have to if you want to do some kind of practice you would have to at least get to the first step of recognizing the suffering so if somebody's living in a very privileged situation they haven't ever even questioned impermanence or suffering or any of those kind of things there's no ground for any kind of spiritual practice right and also most People who suffer feel that there's no way out of it anyway. Hmm. So they, well, that's yeah. Either either they feel they're not suffering, or they feel it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. So the second teaching after that is to look at the origin of it. And I think if, if there's anybody out there who's suffering, you should look at the cause, or at least consider looking at the cause. That's really that was Buddha's innovations to really look deeply at the not deny the suffering, and then look deeply at the origin of it. And then the third one is the cessation of it. That's really. The, that's overlooked a lot. People say it's a dour approach. Yeah. But you, you're talking about liberation from the causes of those sufferings, which can be defined a number of different ways, as ignorance, as too much greed, too much attachment, too much aggression, too much of our own thickness of habits. You know, when KD talks about cleaning the mirror of the mind, you know, it's a very similar idea there, cleaning up your own stuff. Mm. Then there's a certain kind of freedom that, that happens. And then after that he talks about, well, method, you see, which is a little bit different. There's a fairly well-defined method for how to go about doing this whole examination. And for thousands of years, people have been doing it. Yeah. And there's no notion that, that the Buddha's a freak, and a one-off, one but it can happen to anybody. 
So that's why we say people have the Buddha nature. They have that intrinsic quality. Hmm. And that can be cultivated, that can be developed in a specific set of ways. And so there's a lineage that goes back 2,500 years of people who have been doing that. Which is just so great. I made a Scientology joke because you were talking about the series of proven techniques mm-hmm. that lead to mm-hmm. some sort of liberation, which I joked sounds like uh, Scientology. Uh, but it just sounds like a lot of uh, systems. You, you took Buddhism and made it sound modern is really all I was trying to well, say. Well, it is modern because it exists now. Yeah. And if all people do, like in Asia now, it's weird. It's sort of almost theistic in Asia. They have, you know, they tell stories about Buddha and, and as if it was in the past only. Mm. They don't think that it's a contemporary practice. So, for example, I teach in Japan now a lot. Mm. And they have Buddha statues there that are 200 feet tall that are 1,000 years old. Mm. And people are flipping selfies of themselves with it. Mm-hmm. That's what they're... They don't have the same level of connection, a lot of them, with the in, inner practices of it that are being represented by those statues. So you're on the uh, path to becoming a, a Buddha, or is anybody that's uh, doing the work, I suppose that's the goal, right? Yeah, the goal is Buddhahood, but that then morphs as you get closer to it. Because as to what it means. As to what it means. And how you, there's a whole progression of ways of looking at it. If you start the path, you might think it's very far away. Mm. If you if you take a more progressed view, you might think it's like one second away and you just missed it, mm. <laughs> which well, then brings it in, in a lot of all of the traditions meet at that point. So that's why this this notion of being present is what's contiguous for all of these different traditions. Yeah, sense of presence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the idea that you already have it. You have it, but it's covered over. Would be this one way of that's looking the at dust it. on the mirror that you yeah. talk. It's about. very similar. That would be like the chant that. Um, that KD does the uh, Hanuman Chalisa to me sounds like a universal spiritual chant. Mm. I don't take that as a, a particular tradition. It's it's talking about the universal quality of cleaning the mind mm. and, and and developing confidence, courage to do that. I'm interested though. Your goal seems to be to spend time with your guru. You want to reconnect. Just, you don't want to become him. Is my point. Uh, mm, that's interesting. Um. That's his business. My job is to think of him. His job is to take care of me. <laughs> Period. Well, you look great, so he's good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not, on well, that level, I'm not merge. concerned about that. But it's very subtle, you know, because the idea is to merge in love. And you, when you merge in love, you don't disappear. Mm. You, don't, it's, it's, you don't get voided all of a sudden. You're gone. You're actually more present. You're, you're here. But you're not here in the same way that you thought you were before, because there's no thought about it. So the goal is to dissolve into that love. And for me, Maharaji is that love. So I just talk so about it simply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you have a, I don't know if you made it up, but I heard you say once, Katie, you said, you can't break out of a prison made of thought with more thought. I did make that up, actually. Well, that's a good one. You can't think, you can't, you can't. You can't I think it. yourself out of a way, out of a uh, out of a prison that's made of thought, yeah. because every thought is the prison. That seems to be something that we. It's only day one, really, the first full day, but we're talking a lot about trying less, letting go more. And there's all these conceptual. What is that you said about the when you put the when you let the thief become the police? Yeah, Ramana Maharshi said that. Mm-hmm. You know, he's talking about recognizing the self. And he's saying, you know... When the self tries to be selfless. When yeah, so, so if you ask a thief to uh, to be the policeman, 
there'll be a lot of investigation, but no, no arrest. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. So here's the self, and I'm, I do this all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I was telling you, David, at lunch, I was like, I am. I get off on thoughts. If I, I said to you, if I say what in this moment is lacking, mm-hmm. I will feel present. It works for me. So mm-hmm. like a thought mm-hmm. will take me to a place. Yeah, but it can I, take you to actually the end of thought for a moment. That's right. Yeah. Well, and that's a that's a, a, a an actual practice called contemplation. It's directed thought. Mm. <clears throat> you stick to a topic until you can go all the way through it. For example, take the notion of self. Right? You say, I'm this, I'm that. Who's this, who's that? Yeah. So you could, by thought, stay. If you stay, you can't just wander around, but if you stay with that, that's a contemplative practice that's really part of the tradition. There was somebody that Ramdas talked about that that was his whole... Ramana method. Maharshi. That was who it was? That was his, I that's my, the main practice. I need trading cards or something. I need <laughs> help with all these what guys. What a great idea. <laughs> but that was his thing. With organic gum in them or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with stevia. Oh, yeah, man, I'll, I'll trade you yeah. like a, a Karmapa for a... Yeah. <laughs> for the longest time, I oh. thought... Say his name again, Maharana Maharishi. Ramana. Ramana Maharshi. Maharshi. I thought that was Maharaji. I just thought that was another name. Uh, no. So this is the guy that laid down at 17 in his That's father's study yeah. and realized he was enlightened. So here's a guy who did the whole thing of trying less. It wasn't a practice. Right. It wasn't a... right. I can't really say that. <laughs> How do you try less? How do you... Uh, what, you do try harder to try less? <laughs> I don't know. So you tell me how to surrender. It's... <laughs> Are you doing it right now? You just told me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you see the irony of it. This I is do what's see called the a cosmic joke. I mean, this yeah. is like to people like that we we're with. They get the joke. There's a joke here, which is that you think you're doing the thing that's taking you around to stop doing the thing. Right. It's a circle. That's what they said this morning is we're in the shade and then we go in the sun and then we spend all the time in the sun trying to get back to the shade and then we get to the shade and we go, oh, thank God I'm in the shade. But you were in the, sh- you, you didn't gain anything. You didn't go anywhere. It was, it was there all along. Or Eckhart Tolle talks about the beggar sitting on the box full of gold mm-hmm. and he's got his hand out. Right. So these, that, that, that mm-hmm. seems to be the thing. All these ideas can get put into a kind of envelope and you carry the envelope around with you. You know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's, it's like something has to penetrate at a certain point. And that's why devotion is a powerful element because somebody's presence or their actual being can penetrate you. Well, let's talk about yeah. music because you guys are musicians together and there is something truly undeniable. Valerie, who's in the room, uh, <laughs> she's waving. She is waving. Oh, you see, good bank yeah. shot. Yeah, bank shot. Yeah, that's very nice. <laughs> they know who Valerie is. Valerie, they know who Valerie is. Okay. And um, <laughs> she's lovely and wanted to. I wanted you to sit in, and here you are. Um, but we went and saw you guys play in New York. We were there uh, a couple weeks ago. Pete is very romantic, by the way. I am very romantic. I, I ended up. You said slam dunking four or five really good Valerie Cohen. Yeah. Uh, He's going to do good tonight. Yeah, no, we, we already had sex this afternoon. Um, it, was really, it was great. So who did? <laughs> All right, so we're finished here? That's all this was. Okay, bye. Thank you very much for the hookup. Um, well, we talked about, you know, here we are, we're intellectual people, we were both raised evangelical and, and fundamental, meaning wow, just right. literal Bible-believing people. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then, but there's this ache, and this is the big passion of my life, is, is don't throw out the baby Jesus with the bathwater. Right. It's like, what is worth keeping? Yeah. And then we go and see you in New York in a church. Mm. Uh, I'm proud to say it's taken some work to have no problem with that. I thought it was lovely. It was great. And, and then the second we started, you started playing, your opening act was great. And then when you started playing the first time, everybody sang in unison, both Valerie and I just wept for the mm. entire time. I already told you this. Mm. What is going on? So here mm-hmm. we have this transcendent thing, mm-hmm. and don't don't ask me what are we transcending because I don't know the answer to that. It's okay, <laughs> but you, you can say. Yeah, here's, this, here's this beautiful. So we're trying to get in touch with the spirit. We're trying to get in touch with the love that hung the stars. We're trying to get into the source, right? And then here comes music, this other ethereal, mysterious thing that my dad who doesn't know any of this stuff, you mm. play Amazing Grace for him and he'll cry, mm. but didn't didn't cry when, you know, X, Y, Z, other manly right, right. example. You know, <laughs> okay, he's a real yeah. Irish tough person, sure. wow. but mm. we've said Amazing Grace. And I want my heart to be open, but it takes 300 or 500 people singing. Uh, well, that's why we do it. That way. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that amazing? Yeah. But what a great... I don't want to degrade it and call it a hack. It's not a shortcut. It's a beautiful... Well, it's tool. a hack in, in the computer sense of the word. You're hacking into the mainframe there. That's right. We're through the mantras, we're through the going music. going around the mind. You're going right. You're hacking in. Because the mind wants to... The, the reason that they're in Sanskrit... One of the things that I like about them being in Sanskrit, or, or I'm assuming they're in Sanskrit, yeah, sure. is that I don't get hung up on the lyrics. We, right. When we were in Christian church, I would be singing things, and I'd be thinking... Think that, mm-hmm. like I'd be claiming something to yeah. Jesus that yeah. I was like, I don't feel that way today. Right yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm hungry. I, I would, I'd rather have a sandwich mm-hmm. than communion right now. Yeah. Get away from. Yeah, exactly. It's not enough. <laughs> you have some jam for that wafer. <laughs> it's not enough. Is this gluten free? Was a big question. Mm-hmm. So here we are singing in a language we don't understand. You pointed out in New York that we don't know what Sita Ram means. We don't really mean because how how can you say who you what what we really are because it must be on words right. beyond thought but you can feel it and when you come in the presence of it basically you, you all you can do is cry that's right you know it's the, it's like and you don't even know what it is but it's like a feeling of being home or something so right but it's not thinking that it's just like, right but this gives me a chance to ask you a question which is there is a narrative associated with these names like Sita's a character in a sort of yeah. cosmic narrative sure. Ram is yeah sure Krishna I didn't know see I always thought Sita meant praise because I'm a dum-dum I thought we were saying praise God or but something. these are all J means praise uh, okay. like a myth, there's a mythological as I understand and Katie knows much more about this part of his tradition than I do there's a mythological narrative a story that's both earthly in a sense and sort of transcendent at the same time mm. and that's the beauty of it it's like there's stuff you can relate to from your own experience but it also kind of goes goes bigger and wider so Sita and Ram they have you know the, the Ramayan right yeah sure so could you explain a little bit yeah, about the the relative and the absolute thing there they do all these names come from the Indian traditions different storylines all the gods and goddesses and all the deities they all have their stories, and with, you know where they came from, where they, what what they did, how they destroyed evil, which are anthropomorphic. Negativity. Is that would they, you say they're that's anthrop- a fair... absolutely anthropomorphic? Okay. Okay. 
I'm sorry. What is anthropomorphic? In other words, they, 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 they're human, humanized. Oh yeah, yeah. They're, 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 I there's a human dimension know. to yeah. it that yeah. is being portrayed. Even though you're talking about a much bigger scale of you're talking about infinity being jealous or angry or or a exactly. thief or yeah. Whatever. So um, so they do have these storylines, and in India, if you're brought up in India, it's it's in your blood. Going over there as a Westerner, uh, mm. it's not. The same. We we grew up with Mickey Mouse. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very long way from Mickey Mouse to Ron. Mm-hmm. We grew up with this. It's a total fantasy. Good title though. Yeah, it's a total fantasy, Mickey Mouse's. But the stories of Ron are not necessarily fantasy, but they they're more conscious narratives that that can lead you into deeper states within yourself. Mm. But even so, that's not. That's not what, the way I approach it, you know. Re, and there are other the, the the oh, let's see how to say it. There's other wallas. No, no, no. No, now, there's different uh, different aspects to reality. There's with nirguna, which means with quality, without qualities, and saguna with qualities. Saguna means with qualities means Ram was a beautiful prince and a king and did this and all that those are the qualities nirguna means like Kabir the poet Kabir my Ram is not that prince Mm. my Ram is not that king my Ram is the indwelling presence in every being without quality without quality so but the truth is that that even in the story Ram does represent that right but the highest aspects of those stories tend to be lost so this is a conversation we've been having for about 10 years, yeah. and I just finally clicked. Because in yeah. Buddhism, you call this the absolute and the relative truth. The absolute truth is empty of qualities. The relative truth is, what, is you know, the fact that there's a left, there's a right, there's an up, there's a down, there's sweet, there's We salty. were talking about this with the salt This is the ultimate, to me, this is the final and ultimate conversation you're going to have. Is <laughs> the ultimate and relative truth. In Buddhism, there's a very high teaching that says they're inseparable from each other. Mm. You can't peel off the absolute truth and go like relative truth has been trumped or transcended. You need they're, both. They're, they're, you, you can't even you separate can't have one without is this, am, am I right in th- this is love some, and so this is, this is love and and this is identical what he's saying is really no different uh, from, from what it sounds like we're in Joseph Campbell territory we're way in Joseph because the myth uh, myth and yeah, metaphor that's exactly right. well that's I want to talk about the lip. see that's when we have Maharaji and, and we go these stories are true they're really true and I go does it matter you know what I mean it does on one level yeah. but then when I look at a miracle of Christ it was a very liberating moment for me to say, it doesn't matter if Christ uh, literally died and rose again, or if he's telling us that we are to die to our humanity and mm-hmm. rise to our divinity. Was it a metaphor or is it real? And you're telling these stories about Ram and Sita, and you're saying there's, there's two ways of looking at it, that you need both? It would be great if you could understand both, because then you'd understand your whole life. <laughs> what do you mean? You understand, you know, which end, which side of the bre- bread to put the butter on, and you understand the sort of more cosmic and large-scale dimension of your existence or non-existence, as you want to say. You, know, you can understand both. Yeah. Right? I mean, what people commonly think of as spiritual is, is, you know, sort of bigger than life. But there's also understanding life and, and its daily ritual and detail. And to think of those two as inseparable or interwoven in a very healthy way yeah. or in a very natural way. Then there's nothing left out. Hmm. 
So for you, is it important that uh, Buddha did what he said to do in the order that he was said to have done it, or is it more of a... He had, a, a, they said, 84,000 methods, skillful means, which means basically he had none. He's just improvising. <laughs> now, over the years of improvising with a lot of different people, you see there are certain patterns in human beings. Some people are more intellectual, some people are more heart-driven, some people can get right to a quality of being present in this very moment, so you can go right to sort of a, that kind of type of teaching. Other people need to learn to like themselves better as a ground for going anywhere with the path. Other people need to um, uh, learn how to interact with with others and be more compassionate and kind because that's blocking them up from having any real insight. Hmm. So there's a million methods, but they're all medicinal in terms of the applications to a particular individual. It's not like a, a cookie cutter. That's a, that's a misunderstanding. Sure. But does it matter to you the story of something like Siddhartha, right? Yeah. That's the most popular Buddha. <laughs> I don't well, know. Yeah, he's... The Buddha of this age. Does it matter that he sat under a tree, or is that a metaphor? It, the tree is is irrelevant. The fact that he sat and watched <laughs> I like his the way you said that. That was a good soundbite. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he sat and watched his mind and came to understand how his mind works is is the main point. But here. a literal man doing that is is important. Not it's an, the model for an him. amalgamation of five men at that time. Well, you're only one man. You're not good. <laughs> Valerie. <laughs> Depends what happens after we leave. And I'm not going to touch your feet after what's about to happen. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> well. I, 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 did I, I don't want to steer you off the topic by bringing up my favorite topic, which is literalism versus myth, but to tell me more about what the you were saying. The problem is it did happen, you know. What did happen? Those things. And those things happened. And because they happen, we have the confidence and faith to enter onto the path so that we can also become free of suffering. If it was just a myth... Are we talking about Maharaji now? Yeah, well, yeah, and Jesus, I would think. Too. Well, and Ram and Sita? And Ram and Sita, okay. yeah. Oh, Ram and Sita, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. They, they say that was in a different age, mm-hmm. and it's just as real as what we think is real now. Mm-hmm. They, they, but that's interesting to me. So, like, They say that. Mm-hmm. I think that's very. I, I love that. I, I wish I could say that about the New Testament. It would be a nice little. Listen, caveat. there's a great book. I forget what it is now. I read it. It was about. It was by a, a, a guy who grew up as a born again Christian, believing that if it's in the Bible, if God said it. That's it. That's the truth. Yeah. And he loved that he so much that he became a scholar, a, a language scholar, and he because he wanted to go deeper into it, you know. But what happened was. He found out that less than 3% of what's in the New Testament now can actually be linguistically linked to the time of Christ. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean, I mean, it could have been, somebody else could have copied it and made a mistake, and, and, and so now that looks different than the way they spoke it. 3%? Yeah. Well, you're looking at a 150 gap between the life of Christ and when the Gospels were written. Absolutely. And then and, forget how long it took for those... Writings to be documented. That's it, that was the same gap from when Buddha lived to anything being written down was a couple hundred years. Is that right? It's all oral tradition for the first 200 years. Interesting. So it's telephone. Yeah, it's telephone. And we humans play telephone. I don't want to play telephone with God. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but here you are. So how does that story end? 3%? And then what happens? So he, beca- he just, that, you know, the, he just became a, a, a 
scholar of all languages, been, and he, he actually left the church, I believe. At least mm. he left the born again. That's, as, as a, that's Pete Rollins. He says that the best way to be is like 30% in towards the middle. Uh-huh. You don't want to be in the middle. The people that go all the way to the middle uh-huh. have crises of faith and, and mm-hmm. tend to leave. This is kind of what happened to me. I went to Israel to study the literacy of the Bible. It really? was very, very important to me. Because of hell. Yeah. They were telling me have, have you ever tried to, to communicate yeah. with Christ directly? <laughs> what a Buddhist thing to say. I mean, you I'm asking seriously. Dog. Now I'm all about that, absolutely. My okay. heart is open. And you can I, make a direct, uh, you know, get him on the phone. What are you, what's the song? Is call him up. Call him up and tell him what you want. Jesus on the main line. That was one of our favorite. Valerie and I were on our feet. You know, we Ma- stopped crying for one time. <laughs> <laughs> Maradis, you know, he, he talked about Christ a lot to us. And first we thought it's because we're Westerners and it's kind of the local religion here. Sure. Mm-hmm. But it was something else. There was a quality about it that was quite extraordinary. It always was charged, really charged. He got very emotional, hmm. very deep. And and when he would talk about Jesus, and it, it, one time he looked around at us, he said, "You were all with Christ." You, I mean, the Westerners. We were, he's telling us we were all with Jesus mm. and I, my thought was looking at him I said we still are mm. <laughs> I you don't have to put this on there but I think he is I think he, he Jesus reincarnated I, why wouldn't I put that on I don't know you get me in trouble <laughs> you don't want to get me in trouble Just, but you know so I don't want to belabor the issue but okay so we have, all three of us have it seems an appreciation for this cosmic crisis real yeah. love Jesus the love incarnate, big deal guy. But then virgin birth, sinless life, physical death and resurrection, water and there was, wine. There was the Swami. Well, water and wine, this piece of cake. I, I know, I, I hear yeah. you guys tell better stories. A couple little mantras, you can do that. <laughs> Dave, Dave, don't do that now. I, I, can't, can't, okay. I can't drink, I'll fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> But you, um, you guys do tell better, uh, not better, but even more miraculous miracle stories from India. Yeah. But go on, sorry. What so I was with this really great Swami. He was one of the few, one of the really great yogis of the last generation. His name was Shiva Bali Yogi. And um, somebody, we're here in America, and somebody said to him, you know, talking about Jesus, and he said, you know, talk, the guy said, Jesus died for our sins. And he just looked at the guy and said, that's just a load of crap. <laughs> he said, that shit was written down 150 years later. What do you think? If I say something today and it's written down 150, 150 years later, how accurate it's going to be? He said, they, they, they changed the story to fit of course, what they wanted to, to do. To get some to fear get, in there. Yeah, yeah, and also to get people to pay attention, to like, control people, buy real estate, and have the biggest thing going on in the world. And this is all the Council of Nicaea, and this is the corruption. So who are we talking about right now? Uh, Jesus is an idea. Jesus, it sounds to me, when I'm talking to you about Maharaji, and I'm trying to get people to understand what happened to you, yeah. while he wasn't silent, he also wasn't preaching or singing or massaging you, but you got a feeling. So here's Jesus coming back into the picture, and it's again sounding very much like a feeling or an experience yeah. rather than a gospel. Absolutely. Here's a word for it. Hit it. Sometimes it's transmission. Right. It's Trans- a word that's used in Buddhism, and I think it would apply. Lineage and transmission. There's a direct communication of some kind of sense of things, which <clears throat> is the essence of the guru-student relationship, teacher-student relationship. So... A lot of what happens is either preparation for that or it happens fast and right away. 
there's a certain, you, you could say, aspect of consciousness or mind that is com- directly communicated. That's the essence of all of these traditions. It's transmitted, transmitted through these avatars. Through, it can be transmitted from the garbage man. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. I mean, the whole notion of siddhas is you don't know where they are. Yeah, you don't, know, you don't know. They don't walk around with a, with a badge saying, yeah. I'm a siddha. They, they just, and it's part of the fabric of reality. They zap you, and, and you don't even know you were zapped till later. It's like the information bureau, secret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like yeah, angels yeah, yeah, kind yeah, of going around and manipulating. But it's more that it's, it's not just a personality thing. It's a quality of the environment that wakes you up and hits you in a certain way. A bird flies Inside, across the room. You wake up intuitively. You go, oh, it didn't come from here. It's like, oh, it's an way. It's an understanding that comes from inside. Mm. You had a great uh, quote. I'm hitting KD with a lot of quotes of his yeah, own. Of his own. Sure. I don't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was in. I think it was in Awake, uh, which someone else talked to you about today. Yeah. Uh, which was very funny, by the way. Um, you, you said uh, you asked a Swami how to get closer to your guru. Yeah. Do you remember this one? Yeah, I remember it. I remember the guy who said it to me. Do the punchline. It's your he bit. He said, I was, <laughs> it was after Maharaji died, and I was, I was running around in the jungles looking for him because I thought he, was, he, he, was, he had just, like, escaped. And, well, anyway, so he... You thought he, want, like, swapped bodies or something? Well, we, there was a body that was burnt. There's no doubt about that. But then somebody... And anyway, there was some rumor that somebody had seen him in this other place. Oh, it's like the Passover plot. Have you heard about the Passover plot? <laughs> uh, I heard... I don't know. I've heard it's about like it. It's like Jesus didn't die. That's oh, yeah. why he, they crucified him on the on like the Thursday before Good Friday because they take all the bodies off the cross for the uh-huh, holiday. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And that's how he survived. So it sounds like your grief, this happens a lot, mm-hmm. will drive people to alternative theories. This happens with... Unless natural, they're true. Unless what's true? Uh, Passover plot. <laughs> it could be. Well, you know, what did Maharaj, you know what Maharaj said to me when I was going to kill myself? He said, what are you going to do, jump in the river? Ah, and he laughed. It was like six inches deep, you know. He laughed. He said, you know, you can't die. Worldly people don't die. Only Jesus died the real death. I mean, that got my attention. I mean, you know, I was like, what? And he said, he never thought of himself. He, he gave his life for his people. He tried to die, but he became immortal. That's the way Maharaji talked about it. Yeah. He never thought of himself. So this is a very high state. It's not somebody working with his ego anymore. It's actually the thoughts of me no longer arise. They're gone. All those waves that started a million miles out on the ocean have been coming and coming and coming. They've now, the seas have come calm. There's no more waves mm. this is what Maharaj was saying about Jesus and um, that's great it's heavy and it got him in trouble the first time so you have to be mindful that's now. exactly what the, that's what Shiva Bali Yogi said so the guy the same guy said to him um, well will Jesus reincarnate he said of course he's reincarnated already many times you think he's going to come back looking the same way? And the assholes went after him the first first time. They go after him again. No, he's not stupid. <laughs> See, some people actually know what this is. What's going on? Yeah, it's extraordinary. I mean, to be and we've been around a lot of these beings that kind of really know. They don't always say, but they know, and they, in in interacting with them. 
the way they answer certain questions or the way they say certain things, you get, oh, that's what that means. Or, really, that's what happened? You know, it, it kind of pops out at you. Hmm. The way Maharaji talked about Jesus, it was like, it was the way he would talk about a yogi in India, a real yogi, a, sid, a siddha, you know, an enlightened being, hmm. a bodhisattva. There's also the notion of conceptual mind and non-conceptual, right? So conceptual mind puts frames around things and makes things familiar, develops a narrative. There's a, in Buddhism, there's a complete elaborate description of how that process unfolds, mm-hmm. very detailed. But at the end of the process, you have a fully developed narrative about who you think you are, right? And it has stories in it and has casts of thousands and it has close friends and it has enemies and it has underscore. And, you know, Katie calls it the movie. The movie of me. Of me. I was right. just going to say the movie of me. But that comes from somewhere. It's just not instantly flashed. It's yeah. like there's a... That's karma. That's you the evolution. You, yeah. you've, you've built it over time, yeah. somewhat consciously, somewhat unconsciously. Yeah. But that doesn't describe... There are moments... What we say is there's moments of kind of in-between gaps, mm. you know, where that thing is not as intact as it, it may be. Like if you hear a thunderclap, you know. So like in Zen or something, they might, you know, whack you, you know, just go, oh, okay, that's between narrative, the fourth reel and the fifth reel. <laughs> but I never saw the space before. <laughs> the in-between play. Between the fourth and the yeah. fifth reel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never noticed that before. Yeah. So in certain teachings, they point to, directly to that experience as opening up the mind to the non-conceptual perceptions mm. that that are not framed in thoughts. And transrational is one of my favorite words. Transrational? Yeah. Is that a Joe Cam word? That is a Joey Cam. Um, Joey Cam. Yeah, yeah. You made it even more casual, <laughs> Joe Cam. <laughs> you, yeah, no, you bring in the Joe Cam, right? Yeah. <laughs> the idea, you know, I, I had a, I wouldn't call it an epiphany, but recently I was thinking about why we call it the heart. We have the head, and then we have the heart, and the heart is this thing that's not, not thinking at all. It just does. Mm. It feels, though. It feels. It feels, and it pumps, and, and I was like, oh, my God, that's why we're always calling about thinking from the head and the heart, and that, yeah. and that sort of experiencing something from the heart. Well, and I would say about KD is that his um, gift to the world is a gateway that just he, is a natural portal that opens up in him when he sings. It's so deeply resonant to what exactly what we're talking about that it goes right to your heart it doesn't that's you, right. you don't re- and I think that's why you had a meltdown there and you, yeah. you, you feel and that any knucklehead can get it I any knucklehead say, I don't can say get that. it there's a knucklehead doing it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's something that, going back to my father I was like this this gets right to I, yeah. my dad's not a knucklehead any more than I'm a knucklehead sure but I'll just we mean it, it in a kind way that's what I'm saying right, yeah. I'm from Boston right. <laughs> Everyone's we're all knuckleheads <laughs> But that that's that wonderful hack. But finish your punchline, which is, how do I get closer to my guru? Because that, that's... Oh, so he just said, your guru is looking out of your eyes right now. Yeah. And I... Yeah. So it's... I didn't want to hear that, of course. Because <laughs> I was looking for that body. Mm. But it was still that's something I've remembered all these years. Well, I've been thinking about that lately. Let's say I'll meditate or, or sing kirtan or something. I'll think, oh... Mah- this is just a thought experiment. <laughs> I feel like he's your guy, so I don't want to blaspheme your guy. Blaspheme. But I'm like, no, Nothing it's not makes him happier. It's not even blasphemous. It's like, oh, I want to meditate. I'm like, Christ wants to meditate, or Maharaji wants to meditate. You don't understand if if they're in the awareness mm-hmm. that makes up me. Mm-hmm. It's like we're meditating. Does that make sense? You yeah. are. Med- that's that makes a lot of sense. Well, together, yeah. We're all doing it. Great together. way to go but about they, it. They're already living in that meditative state. 
I'm just so all you have to do is kind of tune to that. Right. To, when you say you're meditating with them, they, I mean, you may not, uh, that's, I guess, taking a lot for granted, but that's you could think of it that way. I mean, this actually practices in, yeah, in Buddhism course. where you you imagine your guru is sitting on top of your head meditating with you. Yeah. yeah. But you're following his or her example and not the other way around. Right. <laughs> but it's I'm doing it the more narcissist way where I'm yeah. like, I'll tell Jesus when to meditate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That could become a problem. <laughs> um, well, it's, it's hot and you've got, given me 90 minutes, which is amazing. We always ask a couple questions. We, we could talk for five hours just recapping our thing. But uh, in interest of your time, there's a couple questions we always ask. One okay. of them I think you'll enjoy as friends is, uh, can you think of one of the hardest times you've ever laughed in your life? Times Some of them have been together. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we've, we've we've hit the ground sometimes. And uh, um, let's think. This is Goldberg <laughs> <laughs> watching NFL and talking about like Bardo states of after death experiences in the commercials. Yeah, yeah. At one point, I just looked over and said, "Like, who do you do this with?" You know, <laughs> that you share both of those interests with. So, yeah. and and you know, there's a release of of, of recognizing that. Um, you know, this is not a somber situation. Mm. This is a joyful situation. Mm-hmm. I right. like that very much. Yeah. You told me that Bardo thing during the football commercial break. <laughs> I think that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then we go right back to the game. Yeah, back to the game. The game's equally important. Talking yeah. about relative and absolute, the game is important. Of course. Yeah. Um, what happens when we die? We'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Did you just make that up? Because yeah. you must have gotten that question before. No, that's a nobody, perfect nobody response. Nobody was silly enough to ask me. <laughs> but we don't. I'll be that dumb we guy. don't die. What do you mean? You'll die. He'll die, and I'll die. You'll die. He'll and die. What'll happen to me? will happen to me when I die, and what'll happen to you? Will happen to you when you die. So you it's think not a group effort? You don't think it's the same for everybody? Absolutely not. No. You think it's a is living the same it's for everybody? Different as everybody's life is yeah. different from everybody's life. So, I mean, there's a, a basic yeah, some leaving basic the stuff. body behind, but uh, but what happens at that point, I think, is is very individual, according it, to the teachings that you hear about it. Like the Book of the Dead, that's the Bardo stuff, mm-hmm. and this is part of the practice is to not. We were talking about this earlier, is to not freak out when you die, and that's some people think that LSD is a preparation for that, or or meditation, or whatever it could be. Is so when you leave your body, and we were saying. Things are less structured. Yeah. You don't yeah. panic and get sent back or something. Well, you're probably going to be sent back. <laughs> <laughs> you ever see that movie? Was it your life? Uh, with, uh, oh, with Al- Albert Brooks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What's it called? Yeah. Defending your life. Defending your life. Oh yeah, yeah. Albert Brooks. Yeah, that's great. Was great, great, yeah. Movie, great Funny movie. Yeah. take yeah. on this. What we're talking. Yeah, about. yeah. Great but you guys are reincarnation fellows. As we talked about today, it's a sort of more elaborate topic, just like karma is more elaborate. Oh, you have bad karma because you're thick. You know, like that. A really good book about reincarnation. Not reincarnation, sorry, karma. Robert Svoboda wrote this, uh, he wrote three, a series of three books called Agora. The first one is about his guru and these great wild sadhus. The second one is, but the third book he calls The Laws of Karma. And you really get a feel for what it's like from reading the way he tells the stories in this book. Really? Quite beautiful. What's it called? The Laws of Karma. Oh, okay, yeah, right. Agora. A-G-H-O-R-A. Uh-huh. Three. 
subtitle is The Laws of Karma. Mm-hmm. And his name is Robert Swoboda. S-V-O-B-O-D-A. And he's a, he spent a lot of years in India. He had a, a tantric guru, Hindu tantric guru. And um, he's done a lot of practice. And he's, he's fantastic. Hmm. He's also an Ayurvedic doctor and, and an astrologer. I, Jyotish Indian astrology. Fantastic. Hmm. And for the lay people out there, I took a shot at this. Yeah, the book. Like it. I have a book that's coming out in September of 2016. It's called Awakening from the Daydream. And a lot of it's about how karma works. Oh. But it's more for the lay person, you know? It's yeah. just, I tried to make it you know, easily accessible in terms of understanding cause and effect in, in everyday life, you know? Yeah, I love that. I, we talked a lot about it. It was fascinating. I'm going to think a lot about what you just said, that I'm going to die, and you're going to die, and you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll be your own thing. Don't yeah. worry about it. You know, I, I, I actually don't. I used to worry about it. That's why yeah. it's on the yeah. list of questions. What are you worried about? Everybody. Well, I'm worried about an eternal conscious living, uh, eternal torment. The fear, okay, yeah, yeah. fear of hell. Yeah, yeah fear of hell. You hell, can't blame me. I was eight, and they yeah, and adults no, no told me it was all, real. No <laughs> but hell and heaven and all the other states are are karmically determined, and you spend just as much time in those states as your karma uh, determines that you do. The quality of hell and heaven is that they are eternal. That's the they quality. They feel eternal. What? They feel they eternal. Feel, that's what I said. The quality while right. you're in it. Right. They feel eternal. That's so, right. But they're not. That's just the quality of that state. In other words, it's not, it doesn't last forever. They're not actually eternal is the point. It only lasts as long as your karma puts you in that room. So people are getting yanked out of heaven in this belief system? <laughs> yeah, because heaven... Well, that's what we that's talked not, about earlier, don't you remember that? That heaven is, is only a state. That heaven is a temporary state. From that's that, a temporary from, from, from So the these are psychological that's a, states. These are living that's a states. Bliss, oh. That's a, 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 a blissful state. And it's not even a very high blissful state in terms of a sublime kind of... Oh yeah, the Sorry. God. Yeah, I remember the God realm. The God, God realms. But that is what the book's about: is those different realms of existence that we cycle through. That's the idea of samsara. You cycle through them. But if your pattern changes, if your internal patterning changes, the scenery will shift. That's why people practice because they can. You can change that. You're not stuck. For example, if you're afraid of hell, you know you can change the causes and conditions of that fear. No doubt about it. And you're, you've already done that by stepping out of that tradition that was pounding it into you. That was the yeah. first thing you did is you stepped to the side, and now they're pounding it into somebody else. And they're, not, <laughs> they're not pounding it into you anymore. So that impression is going to wane. And that's the first step, is to remove yourself from that, the immediate cause of that suffering, which you did. Now you have in you the, the kind of the shadows of all that suffering that was laid on you. And those shadows are still pushing you around. They're pushing all of us around, our shadows, mm. because they're behind us. They're <laughs> shadows. We don't see them. But why we act we, the way we do, why we have certain problems, why we can't do this, why we do that, these are all because of these programs that are running that were put into us at an early age. Mm. This is what spiritual work does. It liberates us from those programs. And sometimes first ways. by bringing them into a sort of more... Some of the, sometimes you become more aware of it. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes they just, just go, go away. away. Yeah. You know, then it's not all you have to chew every little last mm-hmm. bite. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can take a big gulp and it all goes away. Mm-hmm. But it, at least that's my feeling. Mm-hmm. That it doesn't all have to be, you know, managed, managed and noted right. down. Right. But it's just the, the 
getting used to letting go. Mm. Like when you're singing, getting used to letting go of the thoughts and the blah 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 and keep coming back. That that keep that mechanism keeps working even mm. when you're not paying attention. So the stuff that would grab you really and hold you for like years winds up only holding you for like six months. <laughs> And that's a big difference. Mm-hmm. You don't notice it on the on this level, our normal level, but the practice keeps going, keeps working. Mm-hmm. All these practices work very similar ways, in a general way. Mm-hmm. But I think we both would agree that some kind of practice is necessary. Absolutely, because otherwise the, the habits just have a life of their own. We just recycled, and that's what they say. They say samsara is endless unless you interrupt it with some kind of. Uh, you know, some kind of practice. So mm. KD has his practice, I have my practices, other people have theirs, and they all can be efficacious depending on the person. Mm. So I think if we look at them as absolute, the, the, you can fall in love with the antidote. Like in Buddhism, they say, self-liberate the antidote. Don't fall in love with the aspirin. <laughs> or uh, Ramdas says all methods are traps, too. That's, that's another... But, but they're good traps. But good he says, trap. but in order for them to work, you have to get trapped. That's the yeah. But we're already trapped. Yeah, you that's know. right. That's the other thing, you know. The, the recognition that we're trapped and the the the, the uh, coming to terms with that, that's when you, you you recognize that you have to do something to to you have to add another vector onto those uh, patterns. Mm. You, it's not a frontal assault because you can't you are the patterns, you know. What are you going to do? It's like the thief and the policeman. Mm. The thief and the uh, whatever I said. Becoming the policeman. Yeah, policeman. Mm-hmm. So you add it into your life a little bit at a time, and you just. And a teacher can help because at that point you're giving some direction from somebody who's, you yeah. know, like people coming to Katie's workshop today or coming to. They're learning something from it. Do you remember, do either of you remember the lesson or the line that kind of really clicked for you? Like like I was saying, for me, what in this moment is lacking was one of those ones that I was like, oh, was there... Where did that come from? It's a Zen teaching, I think. What in this moment is lacking? You heard that question and it kind of rippled through you? Yeah, and that was the one where I was like, I say that to myself. It's a reminder on my phone. (laughs) Do you guys, do you have something that is kind of written on your heart that you... I'm, I'm trying to think of yeah. a good place for people to start if they're thinking about something. Well, sometimes these are called pith instructions, you know, yeah. like essential instructions, you know, mm. that are just one-liners that go, you know, can, can carry a lot of luggage yeah. on top of them. They're the tweets of yeah. the spiritual world. And I would say when you studied with a, with a great master, and I think we both were at the feet of really, really accomplished uh, masters, is... They'll say that there's a there's thing in the chain, the hidden life examples of your body, speech, and mind. They'll say things in the course of an everyday exchange that'll hold that kind of pith instruction, mm. essential instruction. So, but, uh, like, so I'll just share one. Like, then this one I thought was you know, it was situational. I, I was having a hard time at a certain point. I talked to Trunk Rinpoche, and he gave me this advice. And he said, um, "When things are going badly, don't panic. Hmm. And when things are going well, don't relax." <laughs> that to me is a pith instruction because we tend to like deal with elation and depression and, and, and riding that out forever so he's saying counteract that and find some kind of equilibrium so when the, thing, when the trip goes down don't freak out mm. hold, your, hold your awareness 
And when it starts feeling like you're in a, a really great place, don't give in to that kind of giddy bliss. Mm. Stay, stay tight. So mm. I can think of a lot of other ones. You, is, 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 well, does I that make sense to you? Before yeah. I even yeah. met Maharaji, uh, Ramdas and a group of us were spending the winter up in uh, Lama Foundation, winter of '69, so, and uh, we heard that there was this artist from New York who lived down the mountain named Herman who had been to India and taught meditation. <laughs> Herman's Hermits? Herman Hermits. Her- Herman the Hermit. Herman the Hermit. <laughs> Sorry. That was too good. Too good. Too good. Too good. You can't yeah. pass yeah. that one. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Anyway, so a, b- a bunch of us went down to see him. And, you know, I'm, I was kind of like, you know, arrogant and cranky and I just stood in the back or sat in the back and I never I didn't talk to him everybody else was asking questions and he was very nice and as we were leaving it turned out I was the last guy out the door and he grabbed my arm and he turned me around and he looked at me and he said you you have to find out why it is you can't give yourself a hundred percent to what you're doing I have never forgotten that oh, that wow. has never left me for a second when I'm chanting, ah, I'm not doing it. I'm not 100%. Mm, that's uh, such an interesting uh, instruction because he's saying you have to find out why you're not. That's what that's I heard true, when you said true, it. Not just don't do it, but yeah, find yeah, out why you're not. Yeah, 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 right. Wow. That's right. I never even thought of that. There's a torpedo in that yeah, submarine, man. Wow, no. yeah. <laughs> and here's, you guys had two epiphanies on those. We've I mean, had several epiphanies earlier this <laughs> afternoon. You know what I'm but not with my girlfriend. Let's. <laughs> I'm not touching it. Yeah, I'm not touching it. Don't touch me. Don't touch that. <laughs> but the great place, maybe, to end is a pith instruction that I think we share from yeah. our lineages. And it's right here at this retreat which is Ramdas is saying, and it cuts me to the quick every time I hear it from either of you, love everybody and tell the truth. That's a pith instruction. Yeah. That is, you cannot get around that. Yeah. Love everybody and tell the truth. I, since I heard that like a year ago, two years ago, I completely said, I've got to use that as a gold standard. Hmm. That's a gold standard. Hmm. And from my own lineage, my teacher's teacher brought his main student close to him, whispered in his ear, said, I'm going to give you the highest teachings. This is Ken, Gilgo Kensei Rinpoche, a very famous uh, Tibetan Buddhist master. I'm going to give you my highest teacher, come over this afternoon. And he pulled him over and whispered in his ear, be kind to everyone. <laughs> That's it, highest teaching. Be kind to everyone. Be kind to everyone. I think we'd be remiss to not unpack the love everyone thing, because when I read that, the evangelical in me, just, I take that as be a phony. And that's the tell the truth part. Yeah, that's why it's that's why it's good. That's I why agree you have you. to be together. Right, keep things go yeah. together. Right, right, right. Yeah. And but then this is, again, we should wrap up. You guys have been so generous okay. with your time. Okay. Okay. But the idea of I think you differ on the idea of souls because Ramdas says that he couldn't. It's words. Yeah, there's so words. There's only one thing going on now. <laughs> Just... Period. Yeah. You know? But Ramdas said the way that he, his words, mm-hmm. to, to understand that teaching was the only way he could love everyone and, and tell the truth was when he stopped seeing them as personalities and stopped believing them when they insisted that they were who they were and saw them as souls. Because he was no longer seeing them as personalities. That's right. not, it wasn't a mental construct. He was seeing them as souls. He was seeing the love in them. So he he wasn't... There was less of him. There, he wasn't loving them. Less. He was. It wasn't an act. Mm. It was. A, it was a state. 
Mm. It's a state of being where you see everyone as that love. They, and that's when you're telling the truth and loving everyone. It's, it's funny because Val, Val and I were on the beach today and we're sitting there and we're looking at this family and we were just doing what humans do. I was like, these people look a little trashy. <laughs> like, I know that this is shitty, but people yeah. don't say these things, but this is yeah, what yeah. we were doing. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's that weird. We were like, yeah, that guy's got a weird, he's fat, he's got a weird side sideburn, and like no, no sun on this side. And I don't know, they just seemed strange. And I was like, then Val was saying, like, then I tried to love everybody and tried to see them mm-hmm. as consciousness, see them as awareness. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to do it because we're just doing it with our brains. You're talking about getting to a place. Well, yeah, but if, if it's done like, uh, what were you saying, what kind of uh, meditation? Instruction uh, or... Yeah, but if you do it as a meditation, you practice. You're not trying to talk yourself into it. Right. You're trying to kind of, you know, explore it a little. Explore bit. it and yeah. pull, yeah. push the dross away, mm. so that the possibility of actually feeling that arises. Mm. See, you feel these things. You don't make them up. They're already true. <laughs> We're, there's only one of us in this whole fucking universe. <laughs> We're all cells of the same being, and. But we we think we are who we think we are. So, you know. And as long as we think that, we act that way as separate beings. We think we're separate from each other. And around that planet of me, all the stuff revolves. Selfishness, greed, right. fear, shame, all that stuff. But it's the learning to say yes to what's going on. So where I see you in New York. I sit down. And uh, I'm like, this is literally, I, I like t- saying my shitty thoughts because it's fun. People don't do that. I like to speak the truth. I actually think there's a very liberating thing to that. Like, I, I overshare all the time. Mm-hmm. So I get in and we sit down and I'm sitting next to three Indian people. And I, I literally was like, oh, good. They, these people are here to, they're not fucking around. Like, mm-hmm. they, they're gonna, they're, they know what they're doing. Yeah. They're probably friendly. Yeah, yeah. It's like if they're in an Indian restaurant, you know it's a good one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wanted to order what they were ordering. I knew they'd know the words if I got lost. I thought it was pretty great. So then we start, and again, I told you, we were they crying. Talked, they talked all night. They didn't talk. They were on their phones, not just texting, no. shopping. They were shopping on really? Amazon on their phone. Oh, my God. Just the guy. The girl wasn't. But I was like, I attract these people. So in this moment where I'm literally feeling with my heart, but then my head shows up, and the comedian in me shows up, and I'm just like, this motherfucker. The same thing happened, you know, we went and saw Deepak and Oprah and all these people, and all I see are these idiot. sorry, but these idiots Selfies. holding up iPads, taking photos, and I was like, you know her from a screen. Yeah. Here she is in real life, and you're putting her back in a screen. Just yeah. look at Oprah. Just fucking relax. You're ruining it. Yeah, yeah. So here comes me having a hard time. I don't want to be a phony. Like, I, so, but what's yeah. the result of that? Yeah. You were suffering. I was suffering. <laughs> and then right. I'm afraid. See? So it, forget about those people, but your judgmental stuff brought you down and caused you suffering. Yeah. Forget them, you know, but this is why our programs rule us. This is why we do the inner work so that we don't get brought, we start to notice how we do this to ourselves all the time. Mm. And like Sharon Salzberg, who's teaching at this retreat, said on the first night, these things can be cultivated. It's not just a question of like, Snapping it into place, and now, oh, yeah. now you're compassionate. You know, <laughs> you just practice. They, they call they call them cultivating the four uh, immeasurables, immeasurables, hmm. which is kindness, 
loving kindness, compassion, uh, equanimity, peace of mind, mm. and happiness. Sympathetic joy. joy. Sympathetic joy. It means when somebody else is happy, you're happy. Mm. And you're not living as if happiness is in a limited quantity, and if they've got it, you, you, there's less for you. Mm. So that's, they say that's one of the most difficult things. But we cultivate these qualities. Why? Because the other qualities, we've already got in there. The bullshit, the selfishness, the greed, the, the, the judgment, the anger, all that stuff. Those qualities we're full of. If we don't cultivate these other qualities, those qualities just keep going. Mm. You know, we, we kind of get cleaning, like repaving the, the, the road a little mm. bit. Practice is like a virus you put into the computer. Yeah, I like that. You know what I mean? You're very tech savvy. You got a hack with the music. Oh, um, you got the don't get virus. Me, don't get me started on that topic. <laughs> don't start me talking. <laughs> I'll tell you everything. <laughs> um, well, this this was a, a, amazing. One thing stuck out. Final thought. Mahar- Maharaji didn't want you jerking off. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we've got to go now. Direct to commercial. <laughs> he said in passing that he would be like, I know you jerk off, you shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. But yeah. he never, he never said that. That was the whole point of yeah. that interaction. Yeah. yeah, He knew what I did and he he just laughed. It meant nothing right. to him. How, how were the biscuits? Yeah, how exactly. Were the biscuits? Yeah. He, there was no judgment whatsoever. How did we turn what it all into that phrase, though, jerk? about the jerking off? We had a great phrase. Did you write it down? Squeezing his own harmonium. No, that was good, but also the inevitable or the... Oh, the inevitable... Uh, the, the, no, the non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. <laughs> <laughs> so call that the title of this. So I'll go on the non-negotiable. We'll get some real... Uh, a bump in your... Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I could talk to you guys forever. Thank you for... for that's actually... We should sell that to Cialis and Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make a billion dollars. We got, we got the thing for you, dude. <laughs> we got the phrase, but you're going to pay Those for can it. be uh, uncomfortably negotiable, actually. <laughs> it's a whole another podcast. Well, if I have an erection that lasts four hours, I'm not calling a doctor. <laughs> That's my final... We didn't even get uh, all no. your love of comedy. We didn't, get to, we didn't even talk about uh, comedy and music, but who cares? This was, this was wonderful. Thank you. Be continued. Huh? Yeah, we'll do it again. Okay. Thank you so much. Oh, would you guys say keep it crispy? It's how we end the podcast. What do you say? You say keep it crispy. It's a silly way that we end the podcast. Keep it crispy. <laughs> I didn't expect unison. Thank you so much, guys. We played together. Now leaving Nerdist.com.